Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-53. And as late as the 1840s, Christmas trees were seen as pagan among believers. Preachers preached against the heathen traditions of Christmas carols, of decorated trees, and of any joyful expression that desecrated that sacred event of the birth of Christ. They didn't want any of the pagan expressions associated with that date. Hello there, welcome once again to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Praises to the King of Glory, to the one who was and is and is to come and is to come. He's the Creator and the Redeemer, the salvation that belongs. on the program today is my wife Suzanne. Hi everyone. Oh yeah. Welcome to this third and final episode on why I exchanged my Christmas tree for a menorah. So now we're going to pick up where we left off dealing with the Christmas tree and why does that become a synonymous with the birth of Messiah, the birth of Christ, as they say. So let's get started and uh, talk about the Christmas tree. It sounds like the Garden of Eden, the tree. So the two trees in the garden. So go ahead and take this away, please. Thank you, Avi. Uh, Long before the advent of Christianity, right? Plants and trees that remained green all year round had a special meaning for people in the northern hemisphere in winter time. And again, I'm saying that I've never lived in those cold temperatures and snow. Mm -hmm. It was very exciting for us in South Africa. We would drive many kilometers and climb up very high hills or mountains to just touch snow because it was an oddity for us. But yeah, so I can understand that evergreen plants and trees would have a very special meaning for people when... The climate is so cold and snow covers everything that you think everything is dying and you wonder, is it ever coming back again? The fierce Vikings in Scandinavia thought that evergreens were the special plant of the sun god Balder. With the ancients, this was all very much part of their religious observances and Mm -hmm. honoring their specific gods, right? So, um, in modern times, the modern Christmas tree, as we understand it and see it in our shopping malls and going up in homes, is actually credited with Germany, interesting enough. They started the modern Christmas tree tradition as we know it in the 16th century. Christians brought decorated trees into their homes. Wow. In 1659, the General Court of Massachusetts... That's in America? Yeah, in the States, enacted a law making any observance on 25 December, other than a church service, right? Any other observance was Mm. actually a penal offense. Mm. It was illegal to have any other service than a church service on Mm. December the 25th. People were fined for hanging decorations. How times have changed. Um, This continued until the 19th century. And then things started changing due to the influx of German immigrants in America. Even as recently as the 19th century, Americans found Christmas trees an oddity. So it's a relatively new thing to have it the way we see it today. 
and as late as the 1840s, Christmas trees were seen as pagan among believers. It was a pagan symbol, and it was not accepted by most Christian Americans. Hmm. Preachers preached against the heathen traditions of Christmas carols, of decorated trees, and of any joyful expression that desecrated that sacred event of the birth of Christ. So even though they accepted 25 December as the birth, they didn't want any of the pagan expressions associated with that date. Hmm. Interesting. So, boy, times really have changed. Yes, indeed. So, what I've been able to find was it changed around 1846, um, an event that happened. Queen Victoria and her German prince, Prince Albert, were sketched in the London News. So, there was a sketch of them standing with their children around a Christmas tree. So, unlike the previous royal families, Victoria was very popular with her subjects. What was done at court immediately became fashionable, not only in Britain, but also with fashion-conscious East Coast American societies. Mm. So, Queen Victoria, her Prince Albert, he was German. So, Mm. that influence came to the British court in England, and the sketch of the family around the Christmas tree that was published in the London News, that then spread not only through Britain, but also through America. So the Christmas tree had arrived. By the 1890s, Christmas ornaments were arriving from Germany, and Christmas tree popularity was on the rise around the U.S. Wow. Hmm. Um, Interesting, I think America does play a very huge role and the American movie industry. I'm just thinking of something like, Hmm. um, for instance, Halloween. America uh, and Hollywood plays such a huge influence today Hmm. in what spreads around the world. Because here, German tradition spread to Britain and Hmm. then America. And Hmm. then America today has a huge influence in what spreads in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I grew up learning about Halloween through American movies, right? Mm. I We didn't have Halloween in South Africa at all. Mm. And now, even apparently here in Australia, Halloween isn't something that traditionally was celebrated here. And now every year, South Africa and here in Australia, I knew about Halloween from seeing it on American movies. And now it's being exported everywhere, partly surely because of money. Mm -hmm. But um, people see it on television and it's another opportunity to sell more lollies Mm -hmm. and make more money. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so the Christmas tree arrived then in the late 1800s. Ornaments arriving from Germany and Christmas tree popularity was on the rise all around the U.S., Uh, It was noted that Europeans used small trees, about four feet in height. About a meter, a meter and a half or so, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so the trees were small. Um, Mm -hmm. Americans like their trees to reach from floor to ceiling, Mm. so they increased the size of what a tree should look like. Hmm. Wow. Um, Electricity, of course, brought Mm. another change to the Christmas tree, Mm -hmm. as it brought Christmas lights, and Christmas trees started to appear in town squares and homes all over America, and these days, frankly, all over the world, right? Mm -hmm. And that's uh, when I was growing up in, uh, you know, the San Francisco Bay Area, 1960s. Yeah, I remember the, the the large Christmas tree. I remember, you know, it being set up and all the presents and everything under the, the tree. It was it was we weren't really doing Hanukkah, not that I can remember, not till later. 
but uh, it was just all part of the, the tradition. Yeah, and me too. I remember growing up waiting excitedly for the time to take the Christmas tree out of its box and mm. get all the decorations and the lights and untangle them mm-hmm. and change the bulbs mm-hmm. that were broken. Mm-hmm. And it was an exciting time because mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. meant family togetherness. It meant festivities, mm-hmm. food, and of course, presents, right? Mm-hmm. So um, today... My joy of the year, as you were mentioning Sukkot, I can't wait to set up our Sukkah. Boy, I know that one. I can tell you that, folks. <laughs> I can attest to that. When Sukkot comes around this home, oh, Suzanne's right out there ready and setting all that stuff up. You know, yeah. Yeah. So again, I want to reiterate as I ended last time, don't cut away beautiful family traditions and leave your home with nothing. Start with the traditions that God lays on your heart that have a biblical foundation that honors Yeshua, Mm -hmm. of which He is the essence and the substance. And start introducing those things, and you will end up much richer, and the things you seem now to be sad to give up will be nothing in comparison Mm. to the beauty of the new things you take up. So even in rem- remembering the the joy I had about as a little girl setting up a Christmas tree, building a sukkah together with your kids and the joy of that. And that's a seven-day festival and mm. then the eighth day. So mm-hmm. it's much richer and more beautiful. So mm-hmm. you, you can set up new beautiful traditions that are biblical and honor God. Mm. So we're going to now talk about this Christmas tree and trees and what does God say? What does the Bible say? And again, we're talking about commandments versus traditions, you know, Mm -hmm. which are going to be more important and which are the ones that you want to teach your children through your example. So we've uh, learned about Yeshua's rebuke to the Pharisees that we shouldn't put our traditions above Yehovah's commandments and make those traditions uh, have more authority than the commandments. We've also heard that we shouldn't add to or take away from his word. So he's shown us what to do, but we're not doing that. I mean, some are, but most don't. And uh, now we need to uh, have a look at some of these uh, scripture references that are pointing us to run from these theological ideas, these mixtures. Uh, Let's go with Jeremiah 16, 19. O Yehovah, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction. The Goyim, or Gentiles, shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthlessness, and unprofitable things. Why don't you read 1 Peter 1.13? As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, But as he who called you is holy or set apart, you should also be set apart in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy or set apart, for I am holy or set apart. So if we're doing exactly what the nations are that are surrounding us, uh, I would ask the question, how is that set apart or kadosh or holy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Then Mm -hmm. we just get conformed to the ways of the world Mm -hmm. and we're not set apart with the beauty of his message anymore. And uh, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Absolutely. And as my journey started, I'm so thankful to be blessed, God, for the things I didn't deserve. How do I thank you? How do I thank him? By obeying his commandments. 
by learning what is it that he loves and what is it that he hates and by learning to please him, to thank him, not to own our salvation. It's because he has freely given us his redemption and paid the price for us to enter back into his presence hmm. because hmm. we're thankful. That's why we, re- we respond with obeying his, guarding his commandments. Mm-hmm. You want to read Revelation fourteen twelve? Yes. Um, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who guard or keep the commandments of Jehovah and the faith of Yeshua. The term saints is the term kadosh ones or the kadoshim, the holy ones, the set-apart ones. So if we're not being set apart from the surrounding practices and customs of the nations, then how can we truly be called holy ones or saints? Absolutely. And it doesn't mean be set apart from the people. It's being set apart from the ways of those people. Mm. Because those people, the ones that we're set apart from in terms of our actions, they are exactly the ones that we're proclaiming this to. So if we Mm. go and put ourselves Mm. on an island, separating us in terms of, of proximity from other people, who are we proclaiming these things to? So we are proclaiming it to people. So mm-hmm. set apart in your ways and in your actions, in mm. your beliefs, but not separating from the people themselves because it's on the marketplace among the people that we are actually proclaiming. Mm. It's actually to these people that we should be proclaiming these things. I really like what you're saying, and I'll tell you why. For those of you that uh, have never met my wife, Suzanne, She's very deeply relational. I, I don't have the level that she has it. It's, it's amazing to watch because she just really has a love for people that's just truly uh, amazing to me. And, uh, and, I, and I appreciate your words. I really do. So thank you. Thank you, Avi. And I don't have your knowledge and your mm-hmm. scripture references and mm-hmm. a lot of the things mm-hmm. that you know and are brilliant at. Mm-hmm. I suppose together we... Fill one another's mm-hmm. voids, I suppose. Uh, Revelation 3.16, Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. That is a mixture of hot and cold. It's called lukewarm. Jehovah says, I will spew you out of my mouth. So he doesn't like lukewarm. I mean, probably any more than I would if on a after I've been running or biking on a hot day. I mean, it just doesn't feel right, you know. No, I can appreciate a nice hot cup of tea or an ice-cold cup mm, of water. Mm. But if my hot tea has mm. become lukewarm or my nice cold water has become lukewarm, I don't like either of them. Mm. With this lukewarm, we can see that the mixture of the golden calf with the Feast of Jehovah that we read of in Exodus, mm. he didn't like them mixing the golden calf into the feast that mm, that mm. was meant to be for him, but doing mm. it their way. Mm. So nothing has changed from the beginning mm. to the end here where we read of it as you just did in Revelation mm. 3. It's the same thread all throughout. Mm. He doesn't want us mixing things that he does not want together. We shouldn't be worshipping the way the pagans do. Be set apart in how you conduct yourselves. Mm. And in Revelation 18.4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive 
of her plagues. And uh, interesting, in Hebrew, the term plague is the word dever, dever. And if you recognize that idea, dever is related to devar, the word, or dover, speak, or davar to speak a word, dever. So plagues are dever. And uh, you can see that all through in Ezekiel, in, uh, you know, in Exodus. It's very, very telling because lest you receive of her word. Remember what Yeshua said in John chapter 12, verses 44 and following. I am not going to judge you. It's the word that will judge you at the last day. That's bringing the plague of the devil, that is, the word is going to judge you. Absolutely. And also, if it says, come out of her, my people, where do you go if you come out? Hmm. You come out of her and you start your journey towards the promised land. You start your journey towards the Jerusalem above. And in the wilderness experience that we have, we can come out of Egypt or come out of Babylon. But it takes a while for God to get Babylon and Egypt out of us, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So once you've come out, now that has to come out of us. Mm -hmm. And He's cleaning us up. So start your journey towards being that bride that is without spot or blemish, that is ready to appear at His appointed time at the wedding that we are rehearsing for, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then uh, let's close off with this series of passages from James or Yaakov, chapter 3, verse 12. Would you please read that? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Okay, now, actually, to answer this question from Yaakov 3.12, I would say, yes, by unnaturally modifying the DNA of the tree, I suppose. Perhaps it would actually be possible for a fig tree to bear olives or a grapevine to bear figs if it were subjected to some kind of genetic modifications to its creation blueprint, uh, the DNA. Yeah, and the moment we add to or take away to this DNA of life, I believe we're breaking one of the primary commandments. Do not add mm -hmm. to or take away to the instructions of the Word, which is what holds up life. I was horrified, Avi, the other day to see how, I mean, even with the um, current COVID vaccines that are coming out, that there is a combination of DNA splicing and dicing happening, right? That you can apparently buy fish. Their DNA has been modified, so they now contain... Um, part DNA of um, jellyfish that can glow. So now you have glowing fish for your child's fish tank, right? And they will produce like kind. So they have been genetically modified to glow unnaturally and they will produce babies that will glow unnaturally. And wow. though it must be pretty in your child's fish tank, there is a part of me that was devastated when I found that out. That's just the start of what mankind is going to start doing when they start mixing DNA and mm -hmm. make, like you say here, make fig trees bear olives or grapevines bear figs. Mm. Um, mm. It's against the design. We're going to seriously mm. get into trouble with that. So 
Interestingly enough, the first of a number of these kinds of genetic modifications in the Bible involves eating the fruit of a genetically modified tree. And you can read about that in Genesis 2.9. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. I'm putting the word but evil. Etz hada'at tov vera. In other words, it's not necessarily, as you're reading it in English, the tree of evil and good, but rather the tree of the knowledge the Hebrew word is yada, or the experience of something that looks good, but it is evil. So it's simply dressed up to look good. A wolf in sheep's clothing. It looks good. Mm-hmm. It's brother sheep, but mm-hmm. it's actually a wolf inside. Exactly. It's good, but evil. Exactly. And this idea that we're talking about here. Uh, from Genesis 2.9, is actually understood from the Hebrew letter Vav. Vav, the sixth letter of the Hebrew Aleph Beit, which operates in Hebrew grammar as a conjunction, okay? And it's easily, easily translatable into English using words such as and, so, but, then, ideas like that. So in Genesis 2.9, uh, with the scripture, when it calls this particular tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can easily translate it the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. So then you could look at Isaiah 5.20, where it talks about evil, and it says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. You get the point here. Something that is evil, but it looks good. So this is like Yeshua's teaching, as you said, about a wolf in sheep's clothing. In other words, it is the tree of the knowledge or experience of good that is actually evil. It just looks good. And we know what God said about that. Don't eat of it. It's poison, and it will poison you. Now, I am certain, as you are, I'm sure, Suzanne, that Jehovah loves nature. He loves green, life-bearing trees and plants and good herbs for food. However, Jehovah, our master of heaven and earth, makes it clear that we must be careful about the trees that produce fruit out there. Indeed, some tree fruit is good, and some tree fruit is very bad. And we must be careful about all the tree fruit that is out there waiting for us to come along and take a nice bite. Yeah? Yeah, and if I can read verse 21, that follows Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And the word prudent there is from bina, understanding. Yeah, yeah. What happened with Eve in the garden? 
She looked at the tree and thought it was good for eating. So, through mm. her own understanding, she discerned that it would be good for mm. eating. Mm. So, we are warned here to be careful to decide for ourselves what is good or evil and follow his instructions. So, even with all of this that we're talking about here, you might tell yourself, I don't do it with that in mind or I don't see it that way. So woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and who are prudent or think they can distinguish in their own sight, meaning how do I see it? It doesn't matter how we see it. It matters how God sees it. And that is, to me, very important in all of this. We're going to come back after our break, and we are going to continue on the idea of trees as a strong theme of Christmas. Uh, We're going to pick up with Mark chapter 8. I am Avi Ben Mordechai. And I'm Suzanne. And we'll be back. This is Real Israel Talk Radio. Oh, yeah. You are listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-53. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host. Avi Ben-Mordechai. Welcome back to our program, Real Israel Talk Radio. I am Avi Ben-Mordechai, and I am talking with my wife, Suzanne, involving festivals and ideas that drive so much of the uh, festivals that uh, are dealt with every year in December and going into January uh, among the pagans and among many, many others in all the churches. Okay? So we want to be holy and set apart. We do not want to to be like them, like the world. We want to be what Yehovah has called holy ones, kiddushim, or saints, set-apart ones. Yeah, not to lord it over anyone, but to proclaim the good news Mm -hmm. of His Mm -hmm. redemption. Avi, you and I were talking about it the other day. It's very interesting to me that we're talking here about the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good but evil right and typically in culture we often speak of the apple as being from that tree right Mm, yeah Um, and it's interesting to me that the symbol for a device today that billions of people around the world find themselves addicted to um, at the detriment of their spiritual and personal relationships The symbol is an apple with a bite taken from it. I don't know if Steve Jobs of Apple Computers intended it that way, and if he did, I'm not sure he would admit it, but the concept seems to fit well with the proverbial poison apple, right, of the Garden of Eden. Mm. And I myself have to remind myself constantly to not let any of my computer or phone device habits get in the way of my relationship with God and with family and with my neighbors and with with my community. So um, it's interesting that it's a it's an apple with a bite taken from it. I wonder if we should let our kids bring their iPhones to the table for dinner. Hundred percent not. <laughs> <laughs> Neither our husbands. <laughs> uh, are you trying to tell me something here? <laughs> <laughs> if the shoe fits, Mr. Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So let's go back to the idea of trees as it is a strong theme of the Christmas season. Let's go to Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Would you please read that? 
Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him, and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he, Yeshua, put his hands on the man's eyes again, and made him look up. And he was restored and saw all clearly. So this could go two different ways in the interpretation. I think we could interpret it that when the man was healed, he saw all things clearly, meaning he saw what Yeshua was doing in order to heal all of the people, kind of like the uh, prophecy of Ezekiel, where the two trees are being put together as one meaning he's seeing something that Yeshua is doing in a reality in the spiritual realm. Or it could very well also be to see things clearly, meaning to see things truly as they are, in the sense that there are teaching trees out here who are not teaching truth. They are mixing truth with lies, and that could be what this man is seeing. He's seeing reality as to what is true and what is not true. I had never really looked at this verse in that way, but these days I'm saying, you know, this could very well be a valid interpretation. So there are trees that are fruit-bearing and good for us. There are. And then there are trees that are fruit-bearing and bad for us. Yeah, and what happened in the garden? You and I have talked about this many times. You can eat from all these trees, but this is the tree I don't want you to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there's plural, many trees in the garden. So what do you think that might possibly be able to tell us? Well, in my understanding, there's one tree that we're not meant to eat from, but that tree produces after its kind. Mm -hmm. So... A tree that has produced after its kind will produce the same poisonous fruit. Mm -hmm. But the trees that we were meant to eat from was firstly the tree of life and then every other tree in the garden that was good for eating. Mm -hmm. So just that one, like it says here in Mark, like you said, Avi, that mm -hmm. says, I mm -hmm. see men like trees walking. So some of those trees will have been produced by the tree of the knowledge of good, but or and evil, mm -hmm. um, produced after its kind. Mm -hmm. And we don't have our own discernment, but in the discernment through the Holy Spirit, through Torah, through biblical scripture, to discern which of those trees have been produced after its kind from the tree that we shouldn't be eating from and which trees are of those that were good to eat from in the garden. We're not supposed to eat only from the tree of life mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. God works through other people and through each of us bear fruit from the tree of life that is there for others to eat from. It's not for ourselves. We bear fruit for others. And those brethren that have gifts of the Spirit in their life, we're meant to eat from them too. But according to his instructions and directions and the way he sees it, we can have the discernment to stay away from the tree of knowledge of good but evil and everyone that has been produced after its kind. So we can eat from each other's fruit. When you and I produce this podcast, we're hopefully producing good fruit that 
others can eat from. And likewise, there are people out there amongst our listening audience. They too, Suzanne, they have things to share that are good. And we can eat from you as well. And we're going to test the spirit and see if that's tasty or not. And then we can go ahead and have some of your fruit as well. So share it with us. And I would say go to our website at www.cominghome.co.il and go post things up there for other people to, um, you know, to eat. It will get moderated to us. We're going to have a look at it first before it goes up there. But post things and uh, see if there's any good fruit coming out of that. Yes. So let's turn to Deuteronomy 16.21 in regards to this passage we read. You shall not plant for yourself any tree as a wooden image near the altar which you build for yourself to Jehovah your Elohim. And I would ask the question, why no trees near the altar? What's the problem? Why can't we do that? Well, because of wanting to bring a clear distinction between what Israel does and what the other nations do. Nations who were certainly known for worshiping their deities under trees on the high places of the hills and mountains all around the nation, all around the land. In other words, God doesn't need the trees of the earth to show us who he is And what he wants from us, we don't do it that way. Nope. He already has a tree in his house. And that tree has a very specific name. Do you know what that tree is? Finally, folks, we're moving to talk about the tree of life. And biblically, the symbol representing that, the menorah. You have something you want to read from Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 2 and 3? Yeah, and Jeremiah 10, verse 2. Thus saith Jehovah, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe, They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. They are like a palm tree of turned work, and they speak not. They must needs to be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. That sounds to me like you're decorating a Christmas tree of Tammuz and all the Roman pagan festival people and the gods. I know many people refer to that verse as if it's referring to Christmas trees, which probably isn't. Um, the heart of it remains, the spirit of it remains the same. So read Exodus 25, 3. You shall also make a lampstand, a menorah of pure gold. The menorah shall be of hammered work, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. So the menorah has a central trunk with six branches coming out of that center branch, much like a tree. Read uh, John 15:5. I am the vine, you are the branches. So interestingly enough, on a Hanukkah, which is a nine-branched light, four on each side and a center middle one. They call that the shamash or the servant light because it is the light from which all others are lit. And shamash in Hebrew is related to shemesh, shemesh, the word for sun, like sunlight in the sky. Shamash, servant, and shemesh, sunlight. Read Mark 10.43. 
Yeshua says, Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever you desire to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So in the menorah, or menorah, we have a picture of a servant of light, with branches bearing light. Those branches are you and I, folks. And uh, we are called to walk in the light as we are lit up by the Messiah, by Yeshua, in our soul. And that fits perfectly with the teachings of uh, John chapter 8, where Yeshua says, I am the light of the world, and you are the light of the world. And I just add there, and as he served us... And how the menorah has seven lights, right? So those seven lights can each represent one of those appointed times, one of the Moedim, the called out Mm, assemblies. mm, mm. And as he served us and is still serving us to finally fulfill all of those appointed times, the Moedim, Mm, mm. in proclaiming them and living them out, Mm. we are serving the world in darkness with the light of his redemption story. So that is the tree that we should be serving others with. Hmm, I love it. So go ahead and read Revelation twenty two fourteen. Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. How about Ezekiel 36? I will take you from among the nations. Hmm. I will gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to be caused to walk in the statutes and to be able to keep his judgments, and do them. Really, this is our individual and collective response to him as his people who are called Israel, which is a spiritual term. So, Suzanne, I know we've been talking a lot about this over the years, to remember this idea of responding to God rather than adopting the ways of the unbelieving nations who always are seeking to worship God by appeasing God. In other words, if we want Him to love us, we have to first love Him. That's how the nations understand God. 1 John four seventeen through 19 Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We love Him because He first loved us. Do you want to say something about that? Yes, He first loved us. And then we respond, and we bear fruit according to his kind. And in the end, we have to proclaim what he proclaimed, what he came to live out on earth. We proclaim that through our appointed times, through the way we behave, and we then are being produced after his kind, the tree of life, 
represented by our menorah. Okay, well, let's take a look at the Shema of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. This is the Shema of the Tree of Life in the Garden of Eden, the Yetzirah. Hear, O Israel, Yehovah our Elohim. Yehovah is one. You shall love Yehovah your Elohim with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your home, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. This is going to teach us, my friends, that Yehovah first loved us. He is the good tree, the Etzachayim, in the Garden of Eden. And eating from that tree, it's embedded in this statement of the Shema Hero Israel. We say it all the time. It starts with the term in Hebrew, Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Yehovah Elohecha, b'chol levavacha u'v'chol nafshecha u'v'chol me'odecha. Ve'ahavta is a verb the second person consecutive in Hebrew. Now, I'm not going to go into the technicalities of all the Hebrew here, but what you need to see is that the Hebrew quite easily supports an English translation that goes something like this. And you have been loved. Now, once again, 1 John 4.19. Would you read that for us, Suzanne? We love him because he first loved us. So, the Hebrew term ve'hafta is a two-lettered connective direct object pointer called an et, aleph tav, in the phrase. Now, Jewish scholars across the board know that it can mean with, or it can be introducing the direct object as something that is going to receive that action, take the action, and operate with it, the one doing the loving. The one doing the loving in the Shema is the Et, the Aleph Tav. This is Yehovah Elohim. So let's look at the Ve'ahavta again. Ve'ahavta et Yehovah Elohecha b'chol levavacha u'v'chol nafshecha u'v'chol me'odecha. Translated. But you have been loved with or by the Aleph Tav of Yehovah, your Elohim, in all your heart, and all your soul, and in all your veriness. Folks, this is the Garden of Eden Tree of Life. This is the Aleph Tav that already loved us long before we ever loved Him. So, Revelation 22.13 I am the Alpha and Omega, the Aleph Tav, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Revelation 21.6, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. That does bring such a beautiful thing for us to remember daily, saying the Shema and then saying that he loved us first. So let's respond back to with the love that his love deserves. Mm-hmm. He is the tree of life. And he puts his spirit in our hearts so that we can respond to his love and to his word and to his ways. And therefore, live eternally through the access he has bought for us through Yeshua, the living tree of life. Wow, what beautiful grace, what love. There's no more beautiful love story. 
Now let's live out that story to others through not only our lives, but also through the biblical calendar that we should observe and not cling to the traditions of the nations that have no idea that God has first loved us, as it says in John 3.16. Or has God has first loved them, every one of them that are doing the pagan festivals and the pagan traditions, God has loved every one of them. He's loved them before they ever acknowledged to love him. And that is spoken in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Indeed, this is true love. So again, I leave you with the words of Yeshua in John 14.15. If you love me, obey my commandments. And from Revelation 18.4. Come out of her, my people. In case you've been doing Christmas, New Year's Eve, and New Year's Day, and Easter, and, I don't know, Halloween, and Valentine's Day, and I don't know, all the other stuff that's out there. All Halloween, these and, yeah. yeah. All that stuff, all these years, even though you have the purest of heart and you're not seeking to say, well, I just want to do it and I hate God. No, you love God. You're just doing things because you don't know what you're doing. You don't realize believing all of these things to be his celebratory festivals or feasts or birthday or whatever you want to call it and believing that you have been pleasing to him. But now that we know better, May we walk in the light of truth and through our lives shine his light of truth in the darkness around us in this world. Suzanne and I believe that that is to be at the heart of God. And may you too, like us and like all of us out here, may you consider exchanging all of your Christmas decorations and your New Year's celebrations and all of your festivals all through the year. Exchange it for the Aleph Tav, the Menorah, the candelabra light in the temple. That was Yeshua. Avi, if I just can finish with a story that to me is so important to end with. Because so many of us, in considering making this change, we can end up being unloving or critical judgmental to other people who still do Christmas or Easter because they don't know better, right? And God showed me through a story that happened to me between myself and my mother-in-law years ago. So when my late husband and I were recently married, I didn't know my mother-in-law very well quite yet, right? And one year for her birthday, I bought her a salad bowl. And I didn't know her. It's like my whole story started with God. How do I love you back if I don't know you, right? So now I buy a gift for someone I don't really know that well. So I bought her a salad bowl. And the best I could do was buy one that I thought looked nice. And she opened her gift, thanked me, and seemed very happy with it. And we moved on, right? Years later, interesting enough, in my sister-in-law's cupboard in her kitchen. Here in her cupboard was the salad bowl I had given to my mother-in-law many years ago. And God used that as an example to teach me what happened there. As I didn't know my mother-in-law well enough to know what gift would be pleasing to her. How do I love her? So I loved her according to what's good in my own eyes. I gave her a salad bowl the way I liked it. But later, as I knew her better, I realized that's not what she likes. 
So now that I know her, if I still buy her a salad bowl that I like, instead of buying her something that I know she likes, irrespective of if I like it, then there's a whole different heart in the situation, right? So when she initially received my salad bowl, she received my heart, with which I gave it, and my ignorance, but she threw out the salad bowl. She gave it to my sister-in-law. Again, years later, now that I know her, why would I still insist on giving her something I like instead of giving her something that she likes? If I truly love her, I should know her better over the years and then change the salad bowl according to what her likes and her preferences are. And that's how I would love her better years later. So I believe when I was doing Christmas without knowing the way God liked me to love him back, he threw out the way I did it, but he received my heart. But now years later, I know him better. I know his word better and his instructions of how he wants me to love him back. Now that I know this, I have an obligation to love him the way he wants to be loved. If after this knowledge, I still insist on doing it my way, then it's not merely ignorance that's the problem, then it becomes rebellion and pride that's the problem. And those are two totally different things. So when we deal with other people that don't have this knowledge yet, even if they have it intellectually, they don't have an understanding of this in a spiritual sense. I don't believe God's going to just throw out everything they do. He will receive their heart throw out their way of worshipping him until you will show them a better way. That's what I truly believe. And it's in that kind of compassion. God loved us first while we had nothing to offer him other than our filthy rags. And that is how we love people. Now we know better and we can walk in light of truth and through our lives shine his light of truth in the darkness around us in this world. And may you too, like me, consider exchanging your Christmas tree for a menorah. Thank you that you joined us for these three sessions and may God bless you as you too follow him and love him back the way he loved us first. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Cominghome.co.if This is Real Israel Talk Radio.